This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join in on the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode or any other, please join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Mike Sussman, writer and producer of Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Warp 5 on Trek FM. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp 5. I am your host, Brandon Shea Mutella, and, uh, oh, it's really, really hot in here. I'm just going to take off my shirt and then go run around in the sand and play some sports and uh, eat eat some prairie oysters. (laughs) And joining me for dinner is Brandy Chicola, my co-host. How are you doing, Brandy? (laughs) I'm fine. Um, I, I'm actually, I'm actually down in the sand at this point. I've already got heat stroke. Oh no, that feel, sucks! I'm really sorry cold. to hear that. I feel cold. Oh, are you sure we'll the sun is shining? Soup. I feel cold. <laughs> Excellent. Patrick is not here today because that lazy bum took vacation. Yeah, not to Risa though. We all know that nothing good happens on Risa. <laughs> No, he went to the next best place. He went to Disneyland. Or is it Disney World? I don't Disney know which World. one he went to. Yeah. Disney World, okay. Disney World. The world went, of Disney. Yeah, he's having fun with his family. And so you and I are stuck here together, but we're going to have a friendly, wonderful co-host guest tonight, Russell Skeet, uh, who I met at the Vulcan convention this year. He's a great guy. A lot of fun to talk to. Definitely knows his Trek. And uh, the, he's a first-time guest on Trek FM. And uh, we're going to talk about the episode Desert Crossing, just in case you couldn't tell from our intro to the episode. Um <laughs> But uh, I like this episode a lot. It's one of my favorites from season one. Uh, Second or third favorite. It's really up there. But uh, uh, before we do that, before we jump into our discussion on Desert Crossing, um, I got to first ask you, would this episode be better if it was Desert Crossing? (laughs) That would totally, totally change the context of the story. Yes. So, but I would be down with some dessert. Dessert crossing. I would like to go to dessert crossing. I already live in the desert, so no on the (laughs) desert crossing. Yes. They always, I always remembered when we were kids, they'd be like, dessert has two S's. What do you want more of, dessert or desert? And then they put (laughs) more S's with the one that you want, right? So that's that's how we learned how to spell desert and dessert. 
Or there's still dessert with one S, but that means you're leaving something. Like you're deserting your post. You're deserting the army. Yes. (laughs) Dang English. Oh, English. (sighs) Someday you'll get your just desserts. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Perfect. Well, before we go in with any more bad puns, uh, do we have any feedback? from our latest episode of Warp 5. Brandy, would you take that away? Yes, I would be happy to. So our last released episode as of this recording was uh, Yelling at a Daisy, which was our (laughs) Horizon commentary. I love that title so much. And uh, we did have some comments there. Todd Millett, or Mallet, I'm not really sure if I mispronounced your name, Todd. I'm so sorry. He says, great episode of Warp 5 and a great episode of Enterprise. I've always liked this episode. It was kind of nice to see what the universe looks like outside of Starfleet. It's always been a wonder of mine. It's a shame we didn't get to explore more about what goes on outside of Starfleet. Travis really shines in the episode. Not only is he a good pilot, I have to disagree with Patrick. There are a lot of instant instances where Travis shows he has some engineering prowess. It's shown on screen a few times, mentioned in a few books, and his character in Star Trek timelines all show in an engineering skill, which makes sense growing up on a family-run ship. He would have had to pick up a few things along the way. I totally agree with that and wish I had had that point while we were recording that commentary because everybody on that ship had more than one job. So Mm -hmm. it's obvious he was more than just a pilot. Mm -hmm. I agree with that 100%. Yes, and uh, and I had some, some vindication with Patrick Carlin saying, 100% agree with Brandy on that DS9 episode. Elixis is beyond insufferable. <laughs> yes, she is. Yes, she is. And then he has a few more comments. He says, looking on IMDb, I saw Corey Mendel Parker was also on an episode of The Orville. Maybe that's where you recognized him from. Nope, I haven't watched all the way through the Orville yet. Okay, and uh, I, I've i seen, there were so many things he's been in that I've seen him that I can't pick the one thing that I, where I first saw him. And uh, he also said, my mom and I call the Operation Annihilate Aliens the Flying Pizzas. And I remember Kay, <laughs> who used to be on To the Journey, said she called them the Demon Pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> they look like the, the fake vomit. That's yeah. I... yeah, I call I just called them amoebas, so... Later on, they when I grew up more, they started to look like fake vomit. So, yeah. And uh, Michael Parkhill says why I like... Let me try that again in the way it's actually written. While I like the Travis story, being a Universal Monster movie fan, I really enjoy the B-plot in this episode and movie night. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ron Sarna does also say, it could be that the writer's room was not terribly concerned with the show Bible. I was expecting great things from Mayweather after the pilot, seeing as he is the only one in space for extended periods. He knew about sweet spots of gravity and such. Then we were treated to weeks upon end of him parking the ship. Good old sweet spots and parking. And and looking intently at something that we can't see. He was really good at that too. Well, that about sums up our feedback, I think. Yes. So uh, I think that we should now have our quick little conversation with our good friend Russell that we've already previously recorded, timey-wimey, in the past, that you'll hear next, all about Desert Crossing. Joining us today is our special guest, Russell Skeet. How are you doing, Russell? Hey, Brandon, I'm doing pretty good, my friend. How the heck are you out there in Saskatchewan? We are doing very good. We are doing our best to 
to get ready for the school season. My uh, my daughters are off to school starting. Well, I guess as of the airing, it was like four days ago as of when this is dropping. But <laughs> I spent all last night, it took me about two hours, I had to tag all the crayons and all the scissor and the duotangs with my daughter's names. And I now have three of them in school, so it took me two hours to do all that. But uh, Well, I, I've been pretty lucky. I don't have any kids, so I don't have to deal with any of that. I just laugh at all the other parents at Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, Russell, I thank you so much for joining us. We actually met just a little while ago this summer. We met at the Vulcan Alberta Convention, and you've been involved with the Vulcan Convention for a few years now, and one of the cool things that you get to do while you're there is you get to interview the celebrity guests on stage Mm -hmm. uh, for the audience members. Yeah, I get to moderate a lot of the panels there, which is really cool. started doing that in 2016, but I was actually going to Vulcan for years before that. Um, but yeah, in 2016, that was the year they had the 10 big celebrities down for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was pretty busy for that uh, two days they were doing it then. And then, excuse me, then I did it last year and then again this year. And looks like I'll be back again next year. So, uh, you know, I do stuff at the Calgary Expo. I've done it at the, uh, uh, at the uh, Foothills Comic Con here in, because uh, I live in High River, kind of High River Okotoks area in southern Alberta. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we have a Foothills Comic Con that happens every year in Alderside. So I'm doing that again as well this year. So yeah, it's a lot of fun to do stuff like that. And, and like you, um, you know, big Star Trek fan, uh, although you stumped me pretty good to, with Star Trek Jeopardy when we were at, uh, when you guys came down to Vulcan. That was pretty amazing. You, you made the, the Jeopardy very tough. And there were some pretty good Star Trek fans there. So. Yeah, we did. Uh, we had some great prizes from La La Land Records, and then a few other places as well. And and I did the Trek Jeopardy, and I showed my wife some of the questions, and she's like, "That's way too hard." I'm like, "I don't know. These are real Star Trek fans." But even if it is too hard, I'm like, "They should have to squirm for these prizes. They should either have oh, and, to squirm, and, and, and or they did. should know." <laughs> and we did. We squirmed hard for those prizes, my friend. Uh, yeah, actually, it worked out really well. It was a lot of fun. So, um, yeah, it was. The questions were a little tough, but like you, you know, big. Star Trek fan. Um, unlike a lot of other people online, though, I love Enterprise. Yeah, I think it's a. I think it's a great show. I and unfortunately, and I've talked a lot about this with some of the uh, some of the stars who I've actually had a chance to chit chat with at different times. I, I think that show was just hitting its stride mm-hmm. when when it got canceled. You know, which which was too bad. Um, Everybody was really coming together. The stories were starting to get good. I liked season three, the whole Zindi arc. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, that was new for Star Trek. You know, at the time, too, because nobody had really ever done that, that whole season arc, Uh, which is, you know, and you look now, you look at Game of Thrones and all these other shows, they're doing everything as a big one season or or six or seven season arc. So as far as I'm concerned, Enterprise kind of kind of set the benchmark there. Mm -hmm. That's my thoughts anyway. Yeah. So is Enterprise your favorite Star Trek? It's okay if it's not. It, well, no, it, it's TOS is still my favorite because, you know, I'm like 52 years old. I grew up watching it. I've seen the originals 100 times each, you know. So, But but I have to admit, like, Enterprise came at a great time because, you know, you've gone through Next Gen and DS9 and Voyager. And some people say, ah, oh, there's too much Star Trek. You know, we're, we're done with it. I'm like, no, there was never too much. And when they when it came out, I'm like, okay, this is really cool because they're, they're following on on the uh, on the heels of uh, uh, the next gen movie. There, I can't remember the name of it on top of my head. You know, it's nemesis just like you know, or... nemesis. Or no, yeah. no, it wasn't nemesis. It was um, the one with the Borg. Oh, first contact. Yeah, yeah. First contact. Thank you, boy. Yeah. Brain fart. Anyway, and and it was like you know, it was a hundred years after that they got the warp drive. They were starting to go, and I thought this is a really cool show because you're going to see kind of the infancy of the Federation. And and where they go from there, and I, that's what I that was the hook for me, and I liked it. And, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you a secret, I did not mind the theme song. Neither did we. 
You know, a lot of people, there's a lot of hate for it. Like, even when they kind of put the backbeat to it in the, the third and fourth season, I still liked it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was great. You know, Diane Warren wrote it. I mean, how bad could it be? She's awesome. Yeah, she's a pretty good, she's a pretty good writer. She wrote that originally for, uh, um, uh, what's the, Patch Adams? I you think know, we so, should, yeah. We should totally do a movie night on Patch Adams. Uh, I haven't seen that one in so long. I, I know Robin Williams was in it, and that was about it. And he got yelled at a lot. <laughs> Excellent. Well, tonight, we are actually going to be talking about a Season 1 episode, and this is one of my favorite episodes from Season 1. This is the episode Desert Crossing, and I will admit right off the bat that one of the reasons I really enjoy this episode is because of the guest star, Clancy Brown. He's one of my favorite actors, and I think he does a really good job in this. So, um, first thing I want to ask you about on this episode when we get into the discussion is when they land on the planet, it's 41 degrees. And I got to say this summer is actually (laughs) the first time that I experienced 41 degrees with no humidex, like with the humidex and stuff on top of all that. I'm pretty sure this is the first time I've actually experienced 41 degrees and it's brutal. Uh, I've seen it a few times in Kamloops over the years, but we we actually hit 42 uh, here about three weeks ago. One yeah, day. we would have had that same heat wave. Yeah, we, yeah. we hit 42 and as well. It was brutal. I was hiding in the house. I was sitting in the truck with air conditioning. I was happy to stay at work late that day because we have air conditioning here. It was <laughs> terrible. Terrible. And, yeah, I can't imagine, okay, hey, let's run around outside and play high lie or, or lacrosse or whatever it is they're playing there. And you know, I was like, uh, no, no, I'm good. Brandy, have you ever experienced an actual, so 41 degrees, was that's over 100 Fahrenheit. Yeah, it's almost 106 degrees Fahrenheit, and I have experienced that, unfortunately, many times in my life, because I live in the desert. So <laughs> our average temperature for the last two months has been 100 degrees, So, yeah. and it has gotten up into, you know, creeping up over that 103, 104, but, uh, but the hottest... I have ever been was being in Las Vegas in August in 2007 and it was 114 degrees in the shade and I get heat exhaustion. I'm a trip. I get heat exhaustion really easily. So, so I'm just like trip in that regard. And uh, we basically were going to a movie theater a block away and we had to stop five times in five different casinos so that I did not die. Yes. Wow. Wow. See, I'm used to like minus 30. Minus 30 doesn't bother me. Plus right? 30 does. <laughs> yeah, I love the cold. Bring it. But the heat. Yeah, it's, mm. it's yeah, you, it's, it's, for me, it's the same. You can't do anything when it's really cold. You can't do anything when it's really hot. Yeah, well. But, so it's you, easier to, but it's easier to warm up than cool off. Exactly my point. Yeah, yeah. it is. <laughs> so that's See, why I felt, I felt for those guys in the <laughs> desert. Because I, I don't know where they shot it. I'm assuming somewhere around Southern California. It looked damn hot. Yeah, they sold. Sure they sold that acting. They did a great job because it looked hot. Yeah, they definitely sold it. See, I like Celsius. I realize we're going off on a bizarre tangent here because at zero degrees Celsius is when water freezes. So that makes sense to me because water is like this standard that everybody has, everybody needs. Water freezes is that. But I tell you, when I went outside at 40, 42 degrees this summer, I'm like, I prefer to call this a hundred degrees. <laughs> Yeah, because it was. It, was, it sure like, felt like, like it. Brandy said it was about 106, and that's that's hot. For Canadians, you know, because everything in this country, we predicated on building the fact that it's going to be minus 35 at some time. That's all our building codes are built around that. Mm-hmm. The builders don't care that it's going to be 100 degrees at some point. They don't care. Yeah. They just worry about it. it's going to survive at minus 30. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so one of the interesting things with this episode is that we actually get some continuity 
You know, so while we talk about season three of Enterprise as being this season-long arc, we, even as early as the first season, we're getting continuity. They mentioned the Ryza plot, which had been going on for a couple of episodes already, them trying to get to Ryza. And they mentioned Silent Enemy, and they also, like, they mentioned events that happened in Silent Enemy, and they mentioned the events that happened in uh, Detention. Or Detained, sorry. Uh, in yeah. Detained. You know, so it's really interesting that we get so much reference to episodes that have happened previously when this is an early, well, a late season one episode, but early in the run of the show. So I'm wondering, what do you guys think about that? Do you like having that kind of continuity and those sprinkled around? Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Again, you know, because they talked about uh, some of the other species they'd met. And I mean, that was the, the big thing about Zabral was, you know, he's talking about Archer as being this this great warrior commander guy who saved thousands of people at this internment camp and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. It turned out it was really like, I think, 82, you know, or something like that. And it just goes to show how things can get blown up. But uh, especially when you're a freedom fighter, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, you're grasping at straws. You'll take what you can get. Mm-hmm. Brandy? I never complain about continuity, especially in the earlier days of television, because honestly, and I grew up watching the original series too, but there would be things that would happen and everything resets and you never hear about it again in another original series episode. So, and that was just the way television was. I like the continuity. I like them referring to, yes, this happened and we remember it. And we know you guys too do too because you're thinking about it right now. So, yeah, I, I appreciated the continuity. And it, for me, it wasn't overly done. It wasn't underdone. It was just right because this episode is built on a lot of those little bits of continuity. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you, Brandy, because like I said earlier, I think that was one of the uh, Enterprise was one of the first episodic television series to really start doing that, to pull back to older things that happened. You know, even you watch like MASH or something, it was on for 100 years. Uh, they ne- rarely ever went back and talked about something. It was never. It was these were one off episodes. And like you said, TOS, that was a great example. It was very much one off episodes. And, but that was the television in the day. You know, mm-hmm. in today's world, people were, were, were trying to maybe call back to some of those things. And I think that's where Enterprise took some criticism at the time, too, because they really were the ones that were groundbreaking in this, as far as I was concerned. Mm-hmm. Agree. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting. I like having this continuity in it because it, it makes it it makes it richer. It makes it, you know, a little bit more of an expansive experience. You know, it makes it interesting if you if you know these episodes well, you're like, oh yeah, that's what they're talking about. Because there's times in the original Star Trek when they might mention something, but it wouldn't have been an episode that we'd seen. You know, they might just reference something and it's like this weird thing that we just don't know anything about. Yeah, and, and again, in this one, you know, because they did reference those things, it, it really makes a difference when you binge-watch the show on Netflix or something mm-hmm. like that. Like, if you're watching it week to week, you might actually forget something that happened three or four episodes before. Mm-hmm. But when you're binge-watching, it's like, oh, yeah, I just watched that like an hour and a half ago. Okay, I know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And it, to me, I just – but it makes sense. And, again, if you're a fan of the show, you're going to remember maybe not everything, but enough of it that, that – it's a nice broad general reference to what to what they're going at because they were talking about a, a specific little tiny thing in a little tiny corner of a little tiny episode. They were talking about broad strokes of here's the big thing that they did. That was the over you know the plot basically of this show. Mm-hmm. Now with this episode, one of the reasons why it stands out for me is this this really interesting idea. Now we're, we're going to touch on some possibly sensitive topics here when we talk about this, but you know nine eleven has been 
recognized as something that's influenced this show. This show aired, you know, shortly after 9-11 happened. It was being produced when 9-11 was going on. And with this episode being near the end of the first season, I mean, we've got an episode about terrorists in the desert, you know, and I can't help but think about, you know, what happened on 9-11 and, and, I'm surprised that they have it. And what do we think? Like, how does this compare to the terrorists that organized 9-11 and the views of what happened at 9-11? And to have this episode where at the end of the episode, you know, Archer says this is almost a cause worth fighting for, you know, and that's like a really interesting stance for a Star Trek show to take. But it's also a very shocking stance for a television show produced in the United States to be taking less than a year after such a major event. Brandy, what do you think about that? Well, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Um, mm. Here's the thing. I understand the, correl- the correlation between uh, Jabral, uh, Jabral, Zabral and his, his uh, freedom fighters as he views them. The thing is, they're fighting against their own government, whereas mm-hmm. 9-11 was another country attacking a a country's government that was not their government. So there is a lot of different motivation there. Okay. So I I don't feel like it's a a direct correlation between the two. In fact, while watching this, I wasn't even thinking about 9-11 the first time I watched this at all. And I was watching this when it aired, when it originally aired. So that, that never occurred to me because I just didn't feel like it was the same situation. So it was, it, it, now when you, we get to season three and the attack directly on Earth from an alien species, from not even from our solar system and from far beyond our borders in a place we've never been, sure, yeah, that is definitely, obviously, a metaphor for 9-11. But this, I, I don't think that that was necessarily intended Mm-hmm. Russell? Yeah, yeah, I agree with Brandy. I, I, until you actually mentioned it, I never really um, gave that a, a bit of thought. I mean, it's interesting. Uh, see, for me, what I caught, I actually watched it again yesterday, knowing we were going to be doing this, so I kind of uh, cheated a bit and went back and watched it. But uh, uh, the thing I took from it is, is for me, it was this was pre uh, the Prime Directive. Uh, the Vulcans kind of had their own directive, but the Federation did not yet exist, so they did not have that prime directive or, you know, General Order Zero One, which was, you know, no interference. So, you know, the guy shows up, hey, I need some help. Great. Hey, come on down to my planet. Have a have a nosh and uh, uh, let's have a chit chat. Oh, by the way, I'd like to enlist you in uh, helping me uh, overthrow our, our overlords here. Um, that never would have happened in later Star Trek because... They would have gone and helped the guy. Okay, great. You got warp capability. Fabulous. Okay, off you go. You've got your own internal thing. We're not interested. Um, but because they didn't have that, of course, these guys go down there. I think kind of naively, quite frankly. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because, again, they get they get down there. They don't bother to check around a little bit. Maybe, hey, you know, uh, send a message down or see what kind of technology they've got. And realize there's people on the other side of the planet that they should really contact as well. Because they do mention it in the show that, you know, you've got this, this big, you know, enterprise showing up. And everybody took notice from the other side and went, um, hey, what are you doing down here with these guys? Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that caused some alarm bells. So, well, we might think the guys from Enterprise are really the protagonists, but the people that they're going against are really the protagonists from their point of view. Mm-hmm. So that means the guys from the Enterprise are the antagonists at that point, which is why you don't see them really giving, you know, well, we don't care if we blow them up because you're hanging out with the enemy. Mm-hmm. 
that's how I viewed it anyway. So, uh, yeah, I, I got to admit, honestly, I did not see the correlation between it and 9-11. But now that you mention it, yeah, I can see that. See, I, I agree with Brandy in that it's it's different in the fact that they're attacking their own government as opposed to a different government. But I just I just find it interesting that the stance at the end is that these guys have been, throughout the episode, basically labeled with the term terrorist. And Archer says, you know, the irony is that it's a cause worth fighting for. And to even admit that on television at that time, I'm just mind blown every time I watch this episode. And I'm just, I'm just shocked whenever they say that line. See, and I remember that line from watching it. And honestly, to me, that hit me as kind of a throwaway line a little bit. I understand what you're saying with it. But for me, that that just kind of shows, and I don't know if this was the purpose or not, but what I took away from it was it shows the naivete of what was Starfleet at the time, before Mm -hmm. the Prime Directive. You know, because Archer's like, you know, yeah, maybe this was worth getting into. We should pick sides. And I think that is a great example of why they have the Prime Directive later on, is that we can't take sides. Mm Mm-hmm. Because what uh, what Zabral is asking for is he's asking for weapons and tactical training. Now we've had people ask this of Picard in the in the future and whatnot, and they they take a stance as no. But you know, he he's how can I put this? He's like he says, look, I I know that I've kind of gone about this in a shady way, but I need your help, right? So clearly we learn at this point that he knew who Archer was, obviously, because he'd heard about this. Uh, this revolution that happened during the episode deten- uh, detained, and you know, so he went there and he wasn't honest with Archer the whole time, which is not a good thing for a character to do when you're looking for help, right? But you know, what do you guys think of what he's asking for and how he's asking for it? Well, again, I think what he's asking for is is help, like like which is what he wants. He's just how he's going about it is, and, and again, like you said, you like Clancy Brown. I'm a big Clancy Brown fan too. Mm-hmm. He's, I think he's an amazing actor. I mean, he can play mean and dirty and just the worst guy in the world, bad guy. He can play a great guy. In this one, I think he was he was very much in the middle. He thought what he was doing was right. He was heroic in a way. Mm-hmm. And and I think what he's asking these people is something that he thinks is perfectly reasonable. But they're going to look at it and go, well, hang on a sec. We, we don't know enough about this. We don't know enough about the conflict. And which, like you said, leads to, to Archer's statement at the end about, you know, maybe it's something worth fighting for. That's what I think he's going at. I, I didn't mind how he did it. It wasn't surprising to me that he would be um, somewhat duplicitous about it. I think he wanted to get him there and, you know, feed him and, and be nice to him and kind of bring it up. Unfortunately, he got rushed when the, uh, the other guys attacked. Mm-hmm. So that was that was his issue, and he's like, well, and that's when he he kind of launched into pleading mode. They're like, no, no, please stay here, you know, stay live in my basement for a while while this attack's going on, and and we'll talk later and we'll get everything squared away, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So I mean, he did a really good. It was almost like a bait and switch. He brought him in, made him friends, you know, have, get, fed them. We we hung out, we played some sports together. They male bonded. It was great, and then things started going sideways. Mm-hmm. Brandy. Yeah, it's uh. It's that old adage of people feeling that it's better to ask forgiveness than permission. Mm-hmm. And I think, though, that it wasn't just about that. It was that Zobral wanted them down there. He wanted Archer and Trip to see them as people, to see them as, you know, humanoids, as, you know, simple people who just wanted to live their lives but they feel that they are being oppressed by the government, have been for many years, and all of their uprisings in the past have failed. Now mm-hmm. they are starting to fight dirtier. 
because mm -hmm. they apparently feel they have to fight fire with fire, and I can certainly understand that point of view. So, well, again, now right now you you've just basically laid out the plight of anybody who has said they're a terrorist. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, to a T. Yeah, and see, that's the thing. One man's terrorist, another man's freedom fighter. It all depends on which side of the fence you're on. If you're on mm -hmm. the side of the so-called terrorists, you're a freedom fighter. If you're the people they're fighting against, you're a terrorist. Mm -hmm. And uh, it it's semantics when it all comes mm -hmm. right down to it. Yeah, it's an interesting point of view, because when we get back and we compare it to D-Space-9 with the Bajorans, you know, like... Major Kira, right? You know, if you're a Cardassian, she's a terrorist. If you're a Bajoran, she's a freedom fighter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you look at you look at the the Federation at that time. The Federation would not get involved because it was they didn't they were they were trying to appease the Cardassians in a certain way, and they wouldn't get involved. Or they wouldn't go and attack and take over Bajor and help them out again. They had to wait for the Cardassians to leave because mm -hmm. again there, there was. To them, I think they might have even thought that was internal because the Cardassians had annexed that territory, so that was basically theirs. They called that an internal struggle. So it's a double-edged sword, the the whole prime directive thing. And I, I think it goes back to, and, and like Brandy was saying, one man's terrorist, another man's freedom fighter. And, and, and like you said with Archer at the end saying, you know, this would be a, fight, a thing worth fighting for. Um, that just goes to show the strength of, of the prime directive, I think. And they hadn't had it at that time, like you said. And and. I think it just sets it up really nicely along the lines of, of anybody who's a Star Trek fan already already knows there's a prime directive, mm. and you can see where it comes from with situations like this. Mm -hmm. yeah, he, yeah, he definitely had learned his lesson from Dear Doctor, and so he was trying to remain in that neutral spot, even though it killed him, because Archer's a good person, and when he sees someone that needs help, he wants to help, but he can't get involved in another person's war, in another planet's war. It's just not a good idea. Like Tripp said, it's not a good idea. Mm -hmm. Just in... No, and I think... Trip was the voice of reason. Yeah, he's never the voice of reason. Right? <laughs> if he was on The Walking Dead, he'd be dead. You know, totally. so he's, he's he's the voice of reason in this one, which is funny. Yep, it was very surprising. He's just like, you want my opinion? <laughs> and it, but I was just that that actually surprised me when he said that. I thought, oh, 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 all right, I see what's going on here. But Trip Trip in this instance was very right. Mm -hmm. So. He doesn't apparently learn that lesson very well in further episodes down the line, but that's another. Oh discussion. no, he reverts back to who he is. You know, I mean, let's say, you know, he, he doesn't go that far afield. Yeah, see, that's the thing. He was starting to have heat stroke, which is why he was the voice of reason. Fair enough. <laughs> Reasonable with a touch of heat stroke. Yep. Apparently. Well, you remember it was like when it was forty-two. You weren't very reasonable then, were you? Uh, no, I was not. Exactly. I was absolutely not. I was yelling at a tree in my backyard. It was not a pretty sight. <laughs> all I know is, all I know, big men in heat is not a good idea. Oh, that sounds like a great band. Big <laughs> <men in heat>. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, big men and heat. Yes, I like it. You better write that down right now. Copyright 2018. Yes. <laughs> can, can any of us play a musical instrument? Uh, I can sing. <laughs> okay, well, you're one up on me. <laughs> I couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. Excellent. Now, there is one thing in here that I'm not quite sure that I like that Archer did. And 
I wanted to ask you guys what you thought about it. So after T'Pol has this conversation with this leader on the other side of the planet, she phones down, she talks to T'Pol, she tells him that, hey, this guy might actually be a terrorist, right? He may not have been honest with you. And Archer kind of tries to just sneak away. He's like, okay, we got to go. You know, I got to get back to my ship. Hey, Trip, we got to really get going. You remember that really unimportant thing? Well, we got to go do that. And, you know, Zabral gets upset because he knows about the communication that happened. But I got to ask, had Picard been in this situation, would Picard have done that? Would Cisco have done that? Would Janeway have done that? Would our other captains have done that? Or do we just simply... Uh, narrow this down to well he's a new captain and he's the first captain yeah i'll go with that <laughs> yeah i will no seriously okay again if it's picard I, again again picard would have talked his way out of it or something like that he would have said number one let's have a conference put phasers on lavender alert and all that good stuff well i think um, picard would have approached him out directly that said look i just got this information that i don't think you've been honest with me Maybe so, but but again, Cisco. I think Cisco and Kirk would have been very similar. They would have just been, nope, this is the deal. We're leaving. See ya. You know, at which point they would have had to grab him and throw him in a room, and Spock would have had to mind meld with somebody and all that good stuff. Uh, Jane, Janeway, God knows what she was going to do. She was full of bad decisions anyway, so this would have just been one on top of another at this thing. So who knows what she would have done. But Archer, I kind of liked what Archer did. I think he, he just did, you know, okay, we're just going to try and be nice about it. We're just going to be on our merry way. I've, I mean, if you've ever watched Star Trek, I mean, it's a great plot device, right? Like, hey, well, we just we're monitoring this conversation we know everything anyway so you might as well stick around it's been done before and I, I think i think again it goes to show some of the naivete of of archer because mm-hmm. he's still well he is a starship captain he's a pretty smart guy he's still new to whole thing of diplomacy and and relations with other people and and, and other societies and other cultures and all this kind of stuff so I mean, could he have handled it better probably i think he should have been a little more direct right off the top but he wasn't so at the end of the day, you know, he did what he thought was the best thing to do. And it didn't seem like a bad idea until it wasn't a good idea. Mm-hmm. I actually feel like operate, he, like Archer was operating under the impression that he'd already been given by Zabral. Zabral has already told him he's very easily offended. Mm-hmm. And so Archer was trying not to piss off the terrorist. Mm. <laughs> so, he was yeah, trying to be Canadian. But when Zabral said that, like, he was very tongue-in-cheek about it, especially the first yes. time he did it at the shuttle bay. He was. You know, he puts his chin up, straightens out his, 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 uh, his robes. I am very easily offended. Yes. You know, that, it was, I think, and you could see the, the, the smile in Archer's face. I mean, it was some good acting there. And, and he's like, okay, fine, I get it. All right, you're, you're pulling my leg. And it was, I thought that was kind of cool. But yeah, he even said it again later. He repeated it, and it was still kind of funny. So Yeah, but I, I feel like he was operating under the assumption of, okay, if these other people are right, it's best not to make these guys angry until we find out exactly what the conflict is. So my personal feeling, and yes, he could have handled it better, but my feeling is, in his mind, he was going, okay, how do I get away from these guys and back to the ship so that we can take a better look at this whole situation and see what's really going on. That's how mm-hmm. I like to look at it. It may not necessarily be what the writers were intending, etc., but that's my head canon, and I'm sticking to it. See, I think the one mistake he made, and where it, where it came across to me is it kind of smacked the desperation a little bit, was when he, he says the line uh, towards the end of that, of that thing. He says, well, we'll be back if there's time. Yeah. 
Mm. You know, if he hadn't done that, I think he might have got away with it. But Mm -hmm. he said that, and it's like right away, I'm sure Zobral's alarm bells went ding, ding, ding. And then, he, of course, he conveniently just got the information of the long conversation between T'Pol and the other folks. Yeah. (laughs) It's not you. It's me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Whenever Zobral says that, it's always you. (laughs) It's true. Excellent. Now, one other really interesting thing that was brought up in this episode, there's a great moment with Hoshi and uh, and T'Pol. And Hoshi just turns to T'Pol and she says, why Montana? Why Bozeman, Montana? And they, they have this discussion and it's like this really interesting thing. And at that point, you know, we've had, what is this, 30 some years of Star Trek at this point. And it's one of those things that we just kind of go with. You know, that's never really addressed. You know, there's a couple episodes where you got opposite sides of the planets, right? But it's never really addressed. But honestly, if aliens came to our planet and started speaking just to one country like they do in Star Trek all the time, that would not go over well on our planet. You know, especially after World War Three. Yeah, especially after World War Three. So so they're like, why Bozeman, Montana? And I understand that in the Star Trek world, that's where the warp drive test originated, right? And the Vulcans were already watching, and so that's why they went there. But even these times when the ships just go to orbit and they just hail somebody, and somebody answers, like, we know what their motivations are, and we know that they're not picking sides, but why don't we have more instances of more confrontation being caused by hello well okay i'll give you a good example like if you watch the original series uh very rarely and i can't really honestly think of any one thing where they went to a planet where there was two distinct species having a civil war outside of uh the one with the guy with the half white half black face right but they were all dead so it was down to the last two but other than that, everybody they went to, every planet they went to was a united, a united society, like Earth was at the time. I think that was what Gene Roddenberry was trying to say, is that Earth had got to a point where kind of where everybody else should be. It should be one people, one Earth, one all this, that, the other thing. So you never really saw that in TOS. You started to see it more in Next Gen, where there, Picard was always having to broker peace deals between varying various factions on on a world. And you start that's where you started to see it. So I think they just carried that on with Enterprise, and these guys just kind of unwittingly stepped into it because they didn't bother to check in advance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I get that. I I don't know. I feel like after World War Three in the Star Trek timeline that people were so disassociated from each other in other communities because they basically barely survived. I mean, a lot of people were dead. A Mm. lot of people. There were not that many societies left, and what societies were left were just doing their best to scrape by. So it does make sense that the Vulcans would land in Bozeman because that's where the test happened. However, Mm -hmm. if a test hadn't happened, the Vulcans would never have even stopped by. So it's actually a moot point. But I feel like... If that happened, the news would spread eventually, but I don't think anybody would at that point just be going, why didn't they contact us first? Because honestly, everybody there had survived a horrible, horrible decimation of the planet, and everybody was more concerned about just staying alive and to see Mm -hmm. tomorrow. 
Yeah, see, I agree with you in a respect. You're right. In the in the right away or the right now, yeah, you're right. Nobody would be pointing fingers going, why'd you land there, not here? That would come later. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I think you would see that a couple of three years down the road. You know, oh, if they had landed in China or Russia or South Korea or Hawaii or, you know, whatever. If those you know, places they, even it, existed it would have been, anymore. If they even existed and there's people there. That's right. But obviously they were too busy picking themselves up to worry about making warp drive. So. Mm-hmm. And again, and again, I always kind of wondered about the motivation of, you know, I guess it would be, well, money and to live on an island of naked women was the point. But uh, again, you know, it's like, well, we've just come out of this war. Hey, there's a ICBM. Let's turn that into a warp drive, you know, that, or, or, or a faster than light spaceship. I mean, it was a great idea as a concept. I, I like the way it worked out and it, it all came out, you know, in, in the show and, and it was great. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think there would be a lot of repercussions in the short term. That would come later. And by that time, everything was getting better anyway. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Right on. Yeah, I like this episode a lot. It's one of my favorites from season one. It's a lot of fun. You know, we get a lot of interesting culture out of this alien race, you know, with the Giscana, right? The, you know, I, I wrote on here as a, as a thing, there's a, there's a game called Beer Ball. You know, there's a place in Vancouver called Wreck Beach. Do you guys you ever heard of Wreck Beach, Russell? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yes. been there. So Wreck Beach is this new beach in Vancouver, and they have this game called Beer Ball where they get this big, you know, tree stump in the middle and they put a beer on there and you try to knock the beer off with a volleyball and whatnot. And I'm like, every time I watch this, I think a beer ball. And, uh, you know, I, so I think it's kind of funny. Um, but you know, we get this interesting culture as well. We got these tapestries on the walls, you know, this very earthy culture, you know, they, they don't eat a lot of food. They don't eat very well unless they have guests. And, you know, they're, they're this culture of almost giving, where he's like, oh, well, which one of these do you want? And, oh, no, I don't have a place to have it. Okay, we'll take this. You know, and then we get that interesting line of what he gives him that means more on another viewing when he's like, oh, I got this from a Suleban. You would appreciate mm-hmm. this. You know, so with the fact of the Suleban revolution, I think he's kind of fishing there. Well, that's, you know. that's foreshadowing, I think, because mm-hmm. you know he's going to go and ask him about, you know, how the thousands of Suleban he, he rescued from this prison camp. That's mm-hmm. where he's going to roll with that. And he kind of does a little bit there. Mm-hmm. And then, then they get attacked, so he, he doesn't get a chance to really get into it. I think that was where he was going to kind of break to the news to them that he really wanted them to help him out. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. order started flying. So he didn't get yeah. a chance to do it, and he had to do it in a rush. Yeah, but it's it's an interesting culture. And I messaged this to Brandy the other day. I said, whenever they, whenever Archer bites into that essence of the male, my essence of the male definitely hurts in sympathy. <laughs> wait, wait, so. you guys, you see, I live in cattle country. We've had we've had lots of prairie oysters out here, especially around branding time. So it's not a it's not a big issue. I'm watching it going, eh, it's prairie oysters. What's the problem? <laughs> Brandy just threw up all over her computer. <laughs> well, yeah, come on, Brandy. There's lots of cattle in Utah. <laughs> yeah, but we don't have the essence of the male as a delicacy. <laughs> that's that's part of branding up in this part of town. Is you uh, <laughs> is when, when when they come off, you boil them up, put some garlic butter on them, and down you go. I have never eaten them. I got to admit. <laughs> you got well. You know you can you can have them a hundred different ways, but they're uh, it's part of the deal. You know, it's like kiss it's like kissing the cod in Newfoundland, right? I'm going to become a vegetarian. <laughs> That's not a metaphor, by the way. <laughs> anyway. Well, do we have any final thoughts on the episode? Is there anything in the episode itself that we didn't discuss that we would like to address, Russell? Uh, you know, I think we think we kind of hit most of the major points. And again, you know, thanks for for actually giving me something more to think about with the the kind of the the tie to nine eleven. I never really gave it that much thought, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I probably should have. So uh, overall, again. 
I know you, this was one of your favorite episodes. I liked it because of Clancy Brown. When I saw him mm. in this, I wanted to see more of him. I'd like to see him come back at some point as as a character in the show, and they never did bring him back. Which was I've been bad. tweeting. they got to get him as a captain on Discovery. Oh. They should. They should. <laughs> yeah. I Even if he's just a guest. Now, could you see him as a, as a human captain or a Klingon? I yes think to both. He, I think you could go either way. <laughs> I wouldn't want to make him a Romulan because he's just, he's just doesn't hit me as that, you know, kind of semi vulcan kind of logical person, right? He's more about the passion. He might be a good replacement for Lorca. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, we'll see what happens in season three. I mean, with Discovery here, we've basically got, you know, a perfect example of def- the defense against the dark arts teacher here with a new captain every season, right? Mm-hmm. So we're gonna have a new, a new, a new guy leading the show every year, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> well, I think I think we could lead it. We could do a whole another hour on that. Oh yeah, at least. <laughs> Brandy, did you have any final thoughts on the episode? Anything we didn't address that you wanted to talk about? Uh, I too really enjoy this episode, and I always love Clancy Brown. He's always great. Uh, I mm-hmm. did like the part when Zabral comes back to Enterprise and he basically says, it's not my problem that your people are lost in the desert. And Paul's like, uh-uh-uh. Oh, hell no. No. I mean, if she were a human, she would have been like that, but she did it in a very Vulcan way, which just tickles me. I love that scene. It's where he gets to the point where he's like, Fine. <laughs> so well, that's what I loved was that, that huge guy, Clancy Brown, backs down to her. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I liked. Yeah. Because, you know, that that to me showed, again, you, you saw some of the playfulness and some of the fun in the character and what he brought to it. Mm-hmm. I, excuse me. I think that was another big part of it right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, that just tells you what kind of an actor Clancy Brown is. And I agree totally with Brandon. I want him back on Discovery. Let's let's yeah. get a petition going. I want him in anything. I watch him in anything. <sighs> Russell, do you know that he's the voice of the crab in uh, SpongeBob SquarePants? Uh, I never watched SpongeBob SquarePants, so no, Brandon, I did not know that. <laughs> he is. It took me forever to realize that. So, excellent, right on. You well, gotta, you got to pay the bills. <laughs> Russell, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you coming on. It's been a blast. Tell the listeners where they can find you on social media and tell them about your radio show. Uh, well, I don't really have a radio show. I do I do morning news and sports at uh, 99.7 Sun Country in High River and AM 1140 in High River. Uh, you can find some of the news we've written here at uh, highriveronline.com. Uh, on Facebook, I'm just at Russ Keat, Or you can find me uh, on my nerdy page at Great White Nerds on Facebook. And, of course, uh, also uh, Skeetman007 uh, on Twitter. Skeetman007. Excellent. I love it. Excellent. Well, talking about prairie oysters is not the only thing we've been discussing here on the network this week, so take a listen to this clip and see what else you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, the 602 Club. Well, and I think that uh, there's even, you know, a a kernel of that conversation uh, reflected in when he is on uh, the, the airship with his dad. And it's very interesting because Indy gives... You know, they give the, the two versions of the story where, you know, you were distant. You didn't hang out with me. You didn't do these things. I didn't have a normal dad like every other kid. And then you hear, uh, you know, Henry Jones Sr. say, I never told you to wash behind your ears. I never checked up on your homework. I gave you all of the freedom and independence that you wanted. And if you were to ask any kid, they'd say that's what they wanted. And then you find out to speak to the point about fact and truth 
that's not necessarily what you want. You want involvement. You want connection. You want to be together. You want to be part of your family unit, and you want it to be cohesive. I mean, you know, at a, at a baseline, that's what everybody wants. Warp 5. So for the listeners, if you haven't watched this episode, she murders. She's unsure of if she murders, but she kills the seventh person she was supposed to round up. Whoa, the seventh! Oh, what a shock! Be still, my heart. So, he mockingly said, To the journey! I love that Barkley says he's lost himself in Voyager because I have been there, man. Haven't we all, Reg? Haven't we all? It hits a little close to home. It does. I'm a little bit like Barkley in some ways. I, you know, I have just a little bit of paranoia to me. Awkward? No, a little paranoid. No, I don't think I'm awkward. No. Okay, maybe a, maybe a little bit. <laughs> well, you said you're like Barkley. Awkward. Give me a glass of wine and I'm fine. Okay. <laughs> Sent the hall. Excuse me. Sent the hall. Melodic tricks. Okay, so that's one of the things they do. Um, the music is much more enhanced and the music is louder uh, when you're sitting in the audience. The, the dialogue is, is lowered so that you can hear the music. The idea is to get you to appreciate what the score is all about. Okay. And the idea is to focus your mind on the music rather than on the movie. But it actually your brain does tricks and it's very difficult to disassociate yourself so you're staring at the screen and then you kind of have to pinch yourself and remind yourself that there's a full live orchestra on the stage. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and a written review. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. Or you can even check out the brand new Prairie Oyster FM. Why do you keep trying to nauseate me? Because <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> It won't be fun when I throw up. Uh, no, over my screen. It'll look like the Operation Annihilate Monsters. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It pretty much will. All right, boomers. We want to hear your thoughts on today's show. There are so many ways for you to do that. The best place, of course, to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference. That's our listeners group on Facebook. Just go to Facebook. Go to the search field. Type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, and it should come right up. It's usually like the very first, what's the word I'm looking for here? Result. That's it. I knew I knew that word. But if you would like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website, which is at trek.fm slash contact. You just choose to send it to a show. You select Warp 5, and it comes right to us. And you can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. So, Brandon, when you are not busy making me try to throw up all over my computer, where can people find you? 
You can find me on Twitter at Brandon Matella. You can find me every once in a while poking my head up in the Babel Conference. You can find me here on the network with Melodic Treks, which is a podcast all about the music of Star Trek. And I'm eager to release my latest recorded episode, which I just recorded tonight, uh, which is an interview with Cliff Eidelman. We talked for 75 minutes. Woo! It was a lot of fun. Uh, you can find me over on the Fandom Podcast Network with my friends Chris and Tom, where we talk about Hitchcock films once a month on Good Evening, an Alfred Hitchcock podcast. And we are smack dab in the middle of the H4O Halloween retrospective on the Talk Film Society that I'm doing with my friend Zach Moore from Standard Orbit. Uh, we're covering all of the Halloween films, one through the brand new one, number 11, believe it or not. And that's a lot of fun. And we have a special guests every once in a while. And then uh, I've got one episode so far of Breaking the Waves, which is over on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. And it's a podcast about electronic music. And the first episode is devoted to Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Brandy, where can people find you when you're not rejecting all my tapestries that I'm trying to give you? Mm, it's just They're just not going to go. They're not going to pull the room together. I'm sorry. Uh <laughs> You can find me uh, in the Babel Conference from time to time. I'm on Twitter at BrandyWine12, Brandy with an I, 12 is the number. You can also find me on the Dark Corner Podcast, which I do with my wonderful husband, Dave, at darkcornerpodcast.com. There is swearing in that, uh, mostly from me. And from time to time, you'll see me popping up on other podcasts on the network because I like to invade territories. No, it's not an invasion. I'm always invited. Don't worry. So uh, you'll hear me on the 602 Club from time to time. I just wrapped up a couple of episodes of Literary Tricks with the darling Bruce and the darling Dan. Those those guys are great. If you're not listening to Literary Tricks, come on. What is wrong with you? And uh, someday, someday when there are new episodes of Discovery... Live from the Edge will come back, mm -hmm. and I will be on it as far as I know. No one has told me I can't, so I'm taking that as consent. January, that's when that, uh, that's when it comes out. You know what else comes out in January? I just saw the tweet yesterday. What? The new season of True Detective. <gasps> so good, I can't wait. I love I that show so much. I don't watch it at all, but my husband does. Oh, it's so good. That's what he said about season one. Go get your husband. <laughs> Just talk about True Detective right now. Uh, <sighs> throwing me over for my mate. That's fine. Am I, gonna, am I finishing this up here? Okay, let me get them open again. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. Available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month, and we really appreciate any support you give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you can find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Sweet. Now, at this time... This time. At this time. What are you going to do, Brandon? What are you going to do? We want to talk about our wonderful associate producers. Yeah. We have Norman C. Lau. Floyd Dorsey, Mike Morrison, Tim Cooper, Justin Ozer, Mark Flessa, Chris Jabuzio, and guess what? What? We got another one. <gasps> Jim McMahon. Thank you. I hope I'm saying your name right. Jim, thank you so much. Yes. We're thrilled to have you on board, and uh, we hope you join us. Uh, just for you, we have a nice, wonderful welcome dinner here for you. We don't normally eat like this. <laughs> oh, Lord. 
but it's all delicious trust us run away (laughs) excellent uh wonderful that's awesome you know what we have eight associate producers and that's just as many as the edge so come on everybody let's get another one let's beat those those edge stinky pants Um, and i can say that because patrick's not here today hey i'm on live from the edge i'm part of that edge family gosh um oops Uh uh-huh uh-huh big oops buddy Oops. Oops. I thought I was all smart because Patrick wasn't here. <laughs> oh, well. And I, I just, you weren't even listening to the things that I said when you asked me where you could find me. I know how it is. I hear. No, I know. I heard you. You were talking about how when the new episodes and you take it as consent, even when they don't answer you, which is problematic in other situations, right? But... <laughs> oh, 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 we're turning it into that. Okay. Mm-hmm. I see. I see how it is. Uh, until next time, that's all we got for you today. So keep calm and boom on. (laughs) 